bitch middle. Fingin' all of my bitches just to remind y'all I ain't having it. I'm the baddest bitch. You wanna fight a body, put them in the booth. I bet I'll <laughs> one that. That one actually sounded kind of close on mine. Yeah, no, that's not, yeah. That, that was like, like close trash. with God. Oh, I love your I love your sinister cashmere sweater. You getting your dad's sweater out. Cover up some titties. <laughs> Get your ass in the house. Cops. That's the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, I love your public radio shirt. I forgot to say something. I love NPR. Oh, NPR is great. NPR love, politics. Love NPR. I feel so judged right now in my battle. He just, <laughs> the hands crossed. Like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? I saw you running up and down the street. I don't. Do you live here? I live three houses down. I've never seen you before. That's weird. <laughs> Welcome to Bras of Murder. This is the first episode of the new season. Yeah, I know you guys been uh, waiting, but we're back, hoes. <laughs> back hoes. Uh, <laughs> so we dig stuff up. Yeah. Uh, oh my but, gosh. On true crime. Full circle. <laughs> I am Andre. I'm Robert. I'm Kelly. AKA K Money. AKA Batleg. I love the announcement. Yeah, I love I love Batleg. Like, like beginning soft and yeah, it's really Laurent Ballet. <laughs> <laughs> this episode we're talking all about prison. Because prisons in America suck ass. <laughs> and they're they could be corrupt. Uh it's just off from top and top to bottom. And we're getting into, yeah, Prison and Prison Murders episode. It's a battle. Do you want to, like, hit us with it? Yeah. I hope everyone's doing well. And I hope, I hope everyone's excited to be back for this new season. Like, right? Yeah, it's some hot girl summer shit. Very excited. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right? So, as you know, it's been super eventful. At the, actually, at the time of this recording, uh, I still don't have the baby. It's still a baby. It's still in Melinda. Lila's not here yet, but she will be here really soon. My delivery is delayed. Yeah. So, Amazon, what's going on? <laughs> so while it has been super eventful for us all, I am super happy to be introducing finally someone permanent to our family. And I know everyone you have heard or you have seen her in our live show a couple of times, and you've probably heard about her voice in one or two episodes. Andre, shut the fuck up so I can finish. <laughs> but I would like to welcome Kelly, or better yet, K Money, to Bruh as a Murder as a full time content creator with us. So, K Money. Thank you, you for that beautiful some, introduction. Say about yourself. Um, I like uh, long walks on the beach. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm here and say hello to everybody. And hey, welcome join the to, to the panorama right now. Yeah, <laughs> we are. We're, we're still in a full pentatonic, and it's been about a year now. <laughs> True. The light at the end of the tunnel. Hate it. We're getting there. So yeah, thank you, and uh, I'm I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad to be here with all you beautiful people. Oh, also, if this is in June. At the beginning of the episode, I'm just going to add in the audio of Charlie XCX saying, Yay, gay rights! <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll make that the intro <laughs> for every episode in June. So, yes, everyone, we know that today's episode deals with prison. And from our previous episodes, we have talked pretty intense, intensely, in- intensively... Excuse me, everyone. 
<laughs> at, at times about pr- the prison system and the justice system, correct? Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I want to talk first about the idea of policing. You probably heard about the last one we did with the Chauvin trial, but I wanted to expand on it a little bit more. But the idea of policing can actually be dated back to the 1700s, where in the Carolinas, they had these groups called slave patrols. So, the slave patrols are exactly how they sound, in that they... Mon- wait, 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 wait. I think... I- I think I, I just want to say that it's kind of weird that you're <laughs> doing the uh, slave patrol thing because in my case, there's also a group of police officers with a really fucked up nickname. Yeah, I know. I read your stuff. <laughs> Ooh, parallels. Right? So they, the slave patrols are exactly how they sound, where this was a way to control and monitor what slaves were doing at all times as if it wasn't hard enough being a slave. And according to law enforcement museum, Org, the American South relied almost exclusively on slave labor, no surprise there, and white Southerners often lived in constant fear of slave rebellions, disrupting the economic status quo. Imagine that. But, <laughs> needless to say, the slave patrol was one of the earliest forms of policing in the United States. And guess what? These slave patrols lasted nearly 150 years after their creation. But this is just a start, right? Yes. Right? <laughs> so, so, in case people were unaware about this, these next facts I'm about to give you, according to the Sentencing Project, African Americans are incarcerated in state prisons across the country at more than five times the rate of white people and at least ten times the rate in five different states. And in 11 different states, at least one in 20 adult black males are in prison. But it doesn't stop there, because people in the Latino community are in prison at a rate of 1.4 times higher than people who are white. So there are disparities between different groups, and these disparities are extremely profound, and it shows. So let's look at the mass imprisonment in 1973, which was the start of an era where policy started to impact and create these disparities in communities of color where black people were mostly affected. But by now, I think we are all aware of how, that there are many drug laws that directly impact racial and ethnic groups in our country. And if you're not aware of that, like, go to Google or read a fucking book, because this is an issue that we have. And also, how did you find the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Who got you triggered? Don't listen to this, about to get triggered. And here you are on my podcast. <laughs> So, there are many pres- there are many people who actually go to dra- jail or prison for petty drug charges, at which, according to the sentencingproject.org, black people are nearly four times as likely as whites to be arrested for drug offenses, and two and a half times more as likely to be arrested for drug possession. So. The crazy thing is, though, is that drug use between both black people and white people are roughly the same. However, black people are the ones that get punished more harshly. And 
while today's episode is not explicitly about black people being locked up for drug use, I wanted to bring... Mm. I Well, it's not explicitly about that. Uh, I'm about to say, because yeah. definitely is. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not explicitly locked up. That's why I said explicitly about it. I just wanted to bring into light that there are disparities between how people of color are treated differently and the justice system. We all have to keep in mind, too, that implicit bias plays a big role on why people of color are more likely to be given harsher punishments. And if you don't know what implicit bias is, I'll explain it to you right now. So Google is also free. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> if we look at how media portrays people of color, these implicit biases help mold an entire group of people into being things like super predators, racists, or drug peddlers, just to name a few. Or, the media also likes to focus on black-on-black -black crime, or on black-on-white crime. And when they do that, it's easy to assume that because one black person does this, that all black people do this. However, this is not the case. So with these implicit biases in place, it's easier to create an environment and a system that can systematically keep people of color down or locked away for petty thing, for things like petty thief, or things like petty theft, excuse me, or small drug charges, like having less than an ounce of marijuana on your persons and getting like 10, 20 years in prison for it. So today's episode focus on a couple of prison murders that have happened. One I'm sure you'll probably be aware of because who doesn't know about the Milwaukee cannibal and the horrendous things they did, but who knows about who murdered this person? So today, I hope you enjoyed this first episode back with all your favorite friends. So, I don't know who wants to go next. Who wants to go? Who's, who's trying to go? I'll go. So the case I'm bringing to you today is about a non-ooh, I almost said non-violent. That's not a word. That's a color. Non-violent. <laughs> I mean, it's a God word. Damn it! And it's, it's a again. color. Non-violent. <laughs> yes. Stop <laughs> it's a non-violent drug offender who was serving eight years in prison before he was beaten to death by a group of correction officers dubbed the Beat Up Squad, which is mm. a stupid, stupid name they gave themselves, <laughs> but. <laughs> You could have came up with something more threatening, at least. The beat-up squad? I'm gonna the cream you. Yeah, it's like I went to Newsies. Like a Michael Jackson music video gang? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like bro, if you don't get out of my face. Fuck, yeah. So, uh, Fish Kill Correctional... Also, Fish Kill, wonderful name. Correctional Facility is a multi-security level prison in New York. The most recent data show that the inmate population is around 1,600. And... Uh, 54% of that population is black, 27% is Latino, and 18% is white. The like normal average age for an inmate there's around 42, and most of the population, being 72%, is violent criminals, and 12% are just like uh, non-violent criminals or drug offenders. 
So my case is about Samuel Harl, or aka J-Rock. I'll just call him Sam throughout the episode. That's easier to say in his full name. He was a 33-year-old non-violent drug offender serving an eight-year sentence. He was killed at Fishkill uh, Correctional Facility on April of 2015. So around the same time period, it's like a few years ago. So according to numerous other inmates, Sam had bipolar disorder and died from getting beaten to death by a group of 20 officers known as the Beat-Up Squad. The Orange County uh, Medical 20 Examiner, officers? The Beat-Up Squad? Wow. Yeah. Well, no, so the Beat-Up Squad was like 10 to 7 people, but 20 officers came and beat this man. Oh, I the thought beat up squad. the Beat-Up Squad was 20 officers. I was like, what the fuck is going on? No. What the beat up squad, yeah, no, the, the beat up squad, like 10 people, but they had an additional 10 officers come help them beat up one man. So, but though, though they, weren't, they weren't officially in the club, <laughs> I guess it's like an initiation or some shit. But so they ruled his death a homicide, but even with the ruling of a homicide, the prosecutors declined any charges to be held against any other officers involved and said that any claim that he was bipolar or had any mental health disorder was just hearsay and it wasn't real even though his wife had medical documents showing that he has a history of mental health issues so now uh sam had been serving well he had several run-ins with the law previously and was in and out of prison since 2002 which when you're someone who's struggling with mental health issues and drug addictions that that is not uncommon to hear about and uh, he did have some infractions and incidences in prison, but most of them, well, all of them are really nonviolent. And yeah, his last one before he died was a couple of days before it. And they said that he was holding contraband. And that's also like a nonviolent thing. So he wasn't really like a violent person. So now inmates and family members say that his erratic outbursts and behaviors were all contributed to his, you know, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And they said that weeks before his death, he was actually like severely depressed. So now he had learned about his uh, mental health disorder in 2010. And then shortly after that, his mother died. And that's when his mental health started really to decline. His wife, uh, Danielle, said that he would sometime before he was arrested, he would walk around his family's house and take down pictures because they were like talking to him. And he also said that his TV was also talking to him, too. So having, you know, these episodes wasn't uncommon for him, especially when he's off his medication. Also, I do want to add in that during the uh, initial trial to try to, like, bring justice to us, the uh, Manhattan attorney said that, again, there were no records of him having any type of mental illness and that, you know, people were just saying that up to, like, garner sympathy for him. And his family combated that by bringing in all the documents and even the uh, coroner who did the autopsy actually corroborated and said, no, yeah, looking at this long <laughs> medical history, it's clear that he had several mental disorders that were like, you know, noted and on his record. So why the fuck are you lying, bro? Yeah. It turns out prison does not uh, help cure <laughs> mental illness, does not help who would, cure addiction. Who Honestly. <laughs> so on top of his uh, history of mental health issues, he also, he also had a history of heart disease, which uh, corroborated, not corroborated, contributed to his death. The day he died, several inmates described him as being uh, depressed and withdrawn. A man named Kamara said that he found him sitting in a television room and asked him, like, hey, what's wrong? 
and he didn't respond. He then said, is it your mom or something? And he just shook his head, yes. Because since his mom died, he has just been really messed up about it. So on the day of April 21st, he woke up and he was convinced that he was getting released, even though he actually had several years left on his sentence. He was in the middle of a mental episode. He started packing his bags and waiting by his bed for officers to come release him. His inmates and friends notified guards and specifically said he needs psychiatric psychiatric he needs psychiatric help. Call a medical nurse. The guards alerted the supervisor instead, and one actually did telephone a mental health clinic, and they told him to bring Sam down to their clinic. Like, don't do anything else. Bring him right to the mental health clinic. That didn't happen. Uh, soon after that, two more officers came up. And they surrounded him. And that's when other inmates said that that's when Sam panicked because he was getting freaked out that his officers were surrounding him. And it said after he panicked, he pushed by them and started to run away down the hall to get away from them. So when he ran, Sergeant uh, Granarno, this is a, a real Italian name, sounded the alarm, which the alarm there that he like released was an alarm used for if an officer is getting attacked or feel threatened. So a man running away from you doesn't seem like an instance where you're getting attacked or you feel threatened. After they sounded the alarm, a group of 20 officers, including the beat-up gang, chased after him and basically pounced and tackled on Sam. Uh, one of the inmates in the day room near the area said that they were watching the Celtics game and they heard from the hallway a bunch of like thudding and booms and yelling. They said that one of the people looked out the hallway to see what was happening and came back in and said, oh, they're jumping J-Rock, J-Rock being Sam. The squad tackled and handcuffed him, like behind his back, threw him on the ground, and then according to the lawsuit, allegedly began kicking and punching him around his head and body. Uh, Sergeant Guinero allegedly ordered them to then throw him down the stairwell. So a man who was just handcuffed, beaten, they throw him down a stairwell, and after they throw him down a stairwell, they picked up his motionless body and put him in a wheelchair and rolled him away. Several inmates said that they saw officers not only kicking him, but jumping on his head multiple times and screaming, stop resisting, stop resisting, while stomping him out. Uh, none of the affidavits or letters mentioned that Sam actually fought back in any way whatsoever, or was even speaking during the accounting, uh, the encounter. Several inmates said that once he was on the floor handcuffed, before they put him in the wheelchair, they looked at him and noticed that he wasn't moving or breathing, and they all assumed that he was already dead. Inmates who saw were like, because afterwards they were interviewed by different people coming in to like build the lawsuit up. A lot of inmates who saw this were upset that Sam didn't fight back because Sam is like over 6'5 and 235 pounds, and they were just like, why would you not fight back? Like, why'd you sit there and let those dudes beat you up? But again, it's like 20 dudes versus one guy. So I'm not surprised that he didn't fight back. <laughs> or he probably didn't want to because it would have made the situation even worse for him. So yeah, so now a medical examiner named Frederick Belling, who was one of the highest medical examiners at the facility, said that he was in a special victims unit for like, you know, emergency. But basically the ER of the prison. He was there where he heard the initial siren go off. So he ran up, and before he could go up to see what happens, he said that 15 guards came into the clinic seeking medical attention, saying that they were just in a fight. He said he looked over all these guards, and out of all the 15 who were there, 
no one had any issues or any injuries whatsoever. So he was confused as to why they were claiming they are were all injured after a fight. He said that there was only one officer who had somewhat of an injury, and that was a bruised rib. And that's it. Yeah, so really just to say that they had to get medical attention. Yeah. Just so, so they had record of that happening. Yeah. So that put his red flags up. And also what kind of put his red flags up was that when one of the sergeants there said, like, whisper to another officer, basically don't bring Sam down here while we're all in here, knowing that Sam needed medical attention. So Frederick went upstairs to go see what was happening. So he left the clinic, walked down a passageway, and saw what he says were maybe seven COs standing in front of a, uh, spe- a specialty clinic door. And he said that door is to a room that's supposed to be locked down during the day. And at night, no one's supposed to be there. And it's night now. He said that he walked up to it, and the officers were peering inside. And he looked inside and saw Sam slumped over in a wheelchair in the middle of a room. He went in there, checked his pulse, and said that it was light. So he got the crash cart nurses to help him, and they did CPR, but Sam died as they were getting him into the ambulance. Yeah, and he said that, you know, when uh, a prisoner needs medical attention in any way, there's supposed to be a code green alarm signaling that someone's injured and needs help. And he said during this whole altercation, there was never a code green alarm sound. And he was saying that, like, you know, even if he was this severely injured, if they would have called for attention right away, we could have possibly saved him. So to him, it was clear that, like, they were biding their time to just let this dude die. Because why else would you just put him in a room by himself in a wheelchair, handcuffed and slumped over? Well, and you also weren't following procedure. You can't no. even use that as an excuse, because if you didn't. You didn't issue the alarm you were supposed to when someone was injured. And they also had, when they were putting him into the crash cart and like transferring him, they also hit him with Narcane because the officer said that he was high on K2. What? Yeah, the officers claimed that he was high on K2, so they hit him with Narcane. And Battle, you know from our, we did that Aja McLean uh, case that Narcane can really slow down your heart rate. Yeah. And this dude has already had heart issues and just got beat up. That's so wild. And, but turns out after the autopsy, there was no K2 in the system. He wasn't high at all. There's something else that they just made up. Now, so he died of cardiac arrhythmia due to hypertension. Basically, he had a heart attack due to the fact that he was in a fight. And then also, the uh, blunt impact injuries to his head and extremities didn't help anything either. So his death was ruled a homicide. They said that there was no K2 in his system. And after two years of investigating, no one was brought to trial nothing happened to these officers and nothing happened to the notorious beat-up gang which plot twist unsurprisingly they each have multiple accounts of beating and killing other inmates in that prison so now uh there's 10 details so of 10 different inmates in it after they after david identified the beat-up gang and each one of them has yeah a bunch of instances of hurting other prisoners one of the guards actually uh tried to ram a prisoner's head into a wall and then stomped on the back of his ribs and cracked two of them and got sued for sixty thousand dollars but didn't lose his job and was able to continue being part of the beat-up gang a, another one contributed to the death of a mentally ill prisoner who was schizophrenic a 21 year and 21 years old and they watched the beat-up gang attack him and it wound up killing him and none of them 
again served any type of justice for that. So a lot of these prisons are just letting these CEOs do whatever they want and go along with their career with no repercussions. And well, especially in the cases where it was actually ruled a homicide. Yeah, this is a ruled a homicide. Yeah, How, like that person does no time, no repercussions, and you expect them to not kill again. Yeah. So I'm gonna link the uh, change uh, GoFundMe. I GoFundMe. Sorry, change.org petition into reopening the case because his lawyer from 2017, well, the family's lawyer, is still trying to get this case reopened and reexamined. Because it's clearly a homicide and you're letting people with a history of excessive force and violence continue to go on and have this power over people. And look what happened to fucking Derek Dickhead who killed George Floyd. Mm. He already had one charge against him in the past for doing a similar thing to a 17 year old. Like if you keep letting these dudes get off free, they're just going to keep hurting people. And I think that's pretty obvious. Like, can we get some rehabilitation? Like, try to figure out if we could fix the problem or address the problem versus just letting them right back out and, like... Especially with someone who has a clear history of mental health illness yeah. and having, like, schizophrenic episodes. Yeah. He obviously needs some sort of help and counseling. And, like, therapy ain't even cheap. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not. No. Well, and that that's another thing. When you were talking about, oh, he didn't have any history of mental health, like, my immediate first thought was, like, okay, maybe he could not afford to get... Uh, diagnosed actually diagnosed yeah like that's a that's a medical privilege to be able to afford a diagnosis or a prescription or you know any type of treatment or even a fucking counseling because <laughs> yeah. a lot of these free clinics aren't going to give you a diagnosis or like record anything no mm-hmm. they're like critical centers where they're going to like try to talk you down from killing yourself and, and then that's give a, you some resources that you can't afford <laughs> yeah yeah because even like with sliding scale it's a lot of money yeah that was my case i think you know we just need to get on that prison reform and go sign the change.org thing i'll i'll link the representatives too. go call go call these representatives because <laughs> their names are all like i don't know it's just it's fucked up you can't just look at an obvious homicide and say yeah no we're good on that and let it slide yeah, that was my case. We're going to go into a quick break, and then we'll come back. And now, a message from our sponsors. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And now we're back. So who wants to go next? Kelly and or Robert? (laughs) Uh, Kelly got dived out. It's slightly in a different direction. So I think we should stick with Kelly thematically. Uh, Go ahead, Kelly. Thematically. Um... As Battle kind of alluded to, uh, my case, it's about the death of, well, it's about the death of Jeffrey Dahmer, but focusing more on the person who killed him, which was Christopher Scarver, another inmate in the Wisconsin jail that they were in. And so to kind of give a, like a brief background, Dahmer was already not very well liked by the other inmates and Scarver- I wonder why. Yeah. (laughs) Um, for many reasons, but, um- 
Because, obviously, not only were they all generally disgusted by his crimes, but he would also taunt them with what he did by making, like, severed limbs out of his food and stuff like that. So, Scarver claimed that he generally had kept his distance for the most part um, because he didn't want to be a target of Dahmer's taunting. And um, under normal circumstances, there was always at least one guard around Dahmer when he was interacting with other prisoners. Which, so um, why, why did he? Why did he have a guard? Sorry. Because because people already or the other inmates already didn't like him because of his crimes, and then also him taunting them. So he would he was already kind of causing friction and causing issues with people. He was being a freaking weirdo, even in jail. It, yeah, which will be important later. Um, in the early morning hours of November 28, 1994, Christopher Scarver, Jesse Anderson, and Jeffrey Dahmer were all sent on cleaning duty to a gym bathroom um, as part of their required work within the prison. They were left unshackled and unattended by guards for 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. In that time, so as they were working Scar- in, in one part together, Scarver said that he was prodded in the back with a mop, and when he turned to look, both Dahmer and Anderson were quietly laughing at him. So at a later point, um, they end up in different areas. Scarver ends up following Dahmer to like kind of confront him about his crimes. Um, he had been keeping an article about detailing the crimes in his pocket and said that Dahmer appeared surprised that he had confronted him, as well as had been kind of looking for a guard or a door to get away. But he, um, Scarver then blocked... <laughs> yeah. He's scared. <laughs> Apparently. Scarver then blocked his um, exit. And while, like, he had... When he moved to the gym to follow Dahmer, he had grabbed a metal bar from the weight equi- equipment. He then beat him over the head and then went to the other part of the bathroom to then also bludgeon Anderson to death or not to death but enough yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm gonna beat your ass and your homie ass (laughs) Uh, yeah so Dahmer was pronounced dead later that day and then Anderson died a few days later but there was enough yeah Hmm? he did beat him enough yeah Um, so there's kind of a few things that like contributed to this whole situation to this situation even happening as I said, um, they were left unattended, which was unusual, because especially Dahmer being such a high-profile criminal. Um, on one hand, there are claims, or so Scarver had an interview in 2015 with the New York Post. Um, it's kind of a the article's not great, but it does have some interesting quotes from him and him talking about it where he doesn't believe that him being left alone with them was an accident. There's some degree that they think that, people think that the guards knew of his distaste for Dahmer. And also there were other um, indications that like, he had some motivation based on the crimes that both Dahmer and Anderson committed. So as we all know, the majority of Dahmer's victims were basically teenage boys who are people of color. And as well as Anderson's crimes, he had murdered his wife and blamed it on two black men. Oh, it just got worse. Yeah. It's like, you got it the got first half. Yeah, like, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, that sounds terrible. Oh, and it got racist. Yep. <laughs> so that's part of it. Although I think it's one of those things too with Anderson, like he, he probably was not the focus, 
but he was there. He, yeah. yeah, you sitting there giggling, bitch. I'm gonna fuck you up next. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you want to smile and shit. So, yeah, those were, like, kind of the things that were, like, a lot of people have been talking about in, like, surrounding that case. And some of the things that he had also touched on himself. He had um, a, an appeal in 2005 that was determined in 2006 as they... he. His lawyer wanted to make a claim that part of the contributing factors is he is a schizophrenic and he was on antipsychotics at the time. He had been to a few different prisons in between when he had been committed and when that murder took place. Because I think he, yeah, he was in prison for murder in 1991. Um, and he he was on antipsychotics and part of it is they were saying that due to the extreme heat in the prison, it kind of counteracted his medications which also made him more unstable and the constant illumination of his cell so he was under 24-hour light and that could drive anybody crazy <laughs> yeah yeah but in t- like those specific things had an effect in addition to his medication not working e- like effectively it's like a cascade of things just like exactly right? that's what it sounds like though well and at the end of the day it's the prison's responsibility to make sure inmates are safe exactly i mean (laughs) well and that's the part of the problem too is that that i believe that appeal was dismissed because they couldn't prove that that was on the responsibility of the inmate or the the facilities to prevent those things to kind of accommodate his mental illness as if they aren't up. housing these people, like, yeah, you're responsible for the for mm-hmm. well-being. Exactly. Although I did want to, like, sidebar that even though he is schizophrenic, that those kinds of... And that, that probably contributed to what he did, that it's not common among people who have that mental health diagnosis. And so I just wanted to, like, put that out there. Yeah. Yes. Schizophrenics are more likely to hurt themselves than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, just because you have a mental health issue doesn't mean you're automatically a violent person. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, so I just think, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see all the different um, factors that kind of went into how that came about and how that happened. And of course, like, there's nothing to prove, like, that there was some malintent of there being no guards present for 20 full but, minutes. Yeah. And like, but the fact that there was no guards present is like, if anything, it shows that the flaws in our prison system yet again. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. The prison identified the, like the need for a guard around him. So why wasn't? But then, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you've decided you're gonna like commit resources to that, why weren't those resources there? Well, and like, like also, right? it's an easy scapegoat to make. Yeah. For someone. That's it, that's what it sounds like. They wanted him dead, and they, they found did a oopsie. Uh, a mentally ill person to be their patsy. Yeah. So. Kills all his time. That is but- probably, I think, the most famous prison murder. Yeah, yeah, that definitely is like, yeah, one of the most famous ones. Famous, most murdered, murder, murdered, murderer. Mm-hmm. Say, yeah. say that five times fast. The most famous murdered murderer. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I- I'm gonna stop right there. It's just gonna get worse. What's his current state? So he, um, he got two additional life sentences for those murders, yeah. and he is still currently in prison. I hate to see it. I believe he's like... 45 now. Yeah, and it's interesting too because they also, there were different things that showed that like when he was in, he was in, I think Denver, Colorado, incarcerated there for a while and they had provided him with like these audio files that he could listen to and those kinds of things kind of calmed him down. But when he went to Wisconsin, 
he didn't get any of that. And then he got the opposite of what was good for his treatment and had more issues with so crazy it led to him murdering somebody Mm -hmm. the the level of differing conditions across our state-run facilities is crazy yeah Mm -hmm. you know there are like like the dade county uh correctional facility is like notorious for being horribly dangerous and terrible and like nobody wants to get sent there yeah or the one in mississippi that's literally just falling apart at the seams like walls are crumbling in pipes are breaking everywhere Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there was even I think one quote in um, the case file, like for the appeal, where it said that yeah he was doing a lot better at certain facilities than others because of things like yeah the the heat and being awake or not awake all the time, but having the light on all the time would worsen his condition, and other things would better his condition. And then there was a part where it said that he got so agitated because of the light being on all the time that he started slamming his head against the wall. And they they said that... Oh, shit. Yeah, so, and then there was, like, this system where, like, you had to have good behavior to get to the next system, and he couldn't get to the next one because of that incident. And they said that, like, he could try again later or something because he was um, not obeying the rules. And then later, there's, like, a sidebar where it pr- shows that they acknowledge that he wasn't hitting his head against the wall to be an issue. He was hitting his head against the wall because he was... suffering from an episode yeah Yeah. so they like use those things against him so that he cannot get higher up within the you know hierarchy of the prison if that makes sense (laughs) because if we look at like the the goal of prison in society if you are a person who believes it should be about like rehabilitation and making a person like a functional member of society again those are the kind of systems that don't make any sense like you are exacerbating someone's mental illness you are making their like issues worse you're throwing them outside tell them to figure it out yeah intentionally setting somebody up to fail or like Mm -hmm. you're saying that they need to do x amount of behaviors to get rewarded but creating an environment that they you know that they cannot do that because of their mental illness or their their struggles like it, i mean obviously it's intentional they just want to keep people in there as long as possible because they make money off of it but you know what a great segue to what i want to talk about today <laughs> oh, thank you kelly for the like so olympic awesome. level handoff <laughs> what <laughs> that wasn't even planned so i am talking today about prison labor um, and then you mean slavery with extra steps? There is an argument to be had there. <laughs> so, uh, some a lot in a lot of facilities, you know, it varies facility to facility. Labor within the facilities is not uh, an option. You have you have mandatory, you know, responsibilities within the prison, you know, which is part of your, you know, rehabilitation essentially. So in some prisons, that's things like working in the kitchen or, you know, helping deliver books or mopping the facilities, things like that. And there's actually been some studies done that having those tasks that you're responsible for um, is beneficial to ref- uh, reducing the rate of recidivism. Now, that being said, there is also a multi-billion dollar industry in the United States on taking advantage of prison labor. So these people who are in prison also are making, you know, bras for Walmart, or they are uh, making random license plates, things like that. Uh, They're producing 
goods for society, for companies, for private institutions. And that is not so much uh, a benefit to the inmates themselves because on average they're paid about $2 a day. That's so crazy to me. Insane. And often, you know, again, this varies facility to facility, the profits of the prison labor is split between the company and the contract holder, which is typically whoever runs the prison. So the group that is incentivized to make sure that there are always people working and wants to fill all of these contracts is also the person who gets to decide whether or not you are behaving properly. So they can either make conditions so bad that you start to act out, or they just lie and say you've been acting out, and when your parole hearing comes up, you've got a bunch of you know red marks on your record, and you go back into the system. Because if we look at you know this multi-million-dollar contract that Walmart just gave to this prison because they need X amount of blank, and they know that there's a large group of people who are going to be you know leaving the prison soon because their sentence is up, and then they won't be able to fill that order then they have an incentive to either replace those people or make sure they don't get out. Um, and that's kind of the heart of the issue here, is the the incentive system. So yes, we understand that like giving people responsibilities like uh, you know laundry duty, things like that can have a benefit to people within the prison. Making those things mandatory, not so much. Making it a for-profit endeavor for the company who is supposed to be helping them. Seems gross. <laughs> Gross. Maybe uh, it'd, be, it'd be different if they were like taking that money and then putting it back into their prison, but they're not. That's <laughs> not happening. Right. So it's a lot of places. It's technically voluntary, but again, you can be put into a state of you know perpetual boredom, which is really actually detrimental to your mental health, or uh, be uh, not ac- allowed access to things like commissary unless you're you know being a team player and things like that. And all for $2 a day. Yeah, I just want some Funyuns. Yeah, and you're not always, you know, some places there are work programs where you learn valuable skills that when you get outside into the, uh, you know, general population of our country, you have some skills you can like go and get a new job. But many of these things are just medial labor. You know, you are cutting a piece of plastic all day long for some product that you don't know how to create. Um, or to an extreme point, like the firefighters out in uh, the prisoner firefighters. Yep. Where we train them to... Uh, Cal Fire is the company that like trains them all, or to the, the standards of Cal Fire. Then as soon as they are out of prison, they are not eligible to become a firefighter because of their charges. One of the people that I was reading about when I was doing research on this... Um, was this man Dominique one second let me try to find last name Dominique Morgan sorry so they worked a 10 year sentence uh, and the whole time they were working for uh, a company uh, uh, Oriental Trading and they made tablecloths and for 10 years they worked for this company essentially you know as a contractor through the prison Uh, when they finally got out they actually went to Oriental Trading and they said hey I've been doing this job for you. I can still do that job for you. Will you hire me? And they said no, because you have sentences. Uh, so fucking weird. So that that level of employee or labor is good enough when it's in the prison system, but that person who has developed those skills for your company specifically is no longer good enough for you. Um, 
And we, like we just mentioned, some of the jobs that people are doing are outside of the prison, like fighting fires and still making just dollars a day, um, you know, risking their lives. However, the uh, prisoners who are involved with CAL FIRE in the inmate firefighters, um, many of them have come forward and said that it's been a, a net positive for them, that they have a good sense of um, uh, positive outcomes that came from them helping to fight fires and, you know, it put them down a better path. And I will also say that the inmate firefighters are typically only nonviolent offenders, which is also a better demographic for recidivism in general. The kind of place I wanted to take this back to with kind of my community out in St. Louis is there is a prison facility in the city of St. Louis called the Workhouse. It's called the Workhouse because in its past, it, it was used as essentially a debtor's prison. So you had fines, you had warrants, whatever, you were put into this place, and then you were, because you couldn't afford it, you were allowed to work those debts off. That's not really how it functions now. From the resources I could find, they don't actually do any labor in the workhouse anymore. However, the uh, workhouse is filled with people who have not gone to trial yet. It is a prison for people who are still presumed innocent, but they cannot afford their cash bail. Within St. Louis City, the average bail is $25,000. If you're a part of a demographic that cannot get a bail bond and does not have $25,000, most likely you are going to the workhouse. Um, And the workhouse is notorious um, for having hellish conditions. There's, you know, black mold around people's, uh, you know, eating and sleeping arrangements the air conditioning and heating does not work. Uh, A lot of national attention was put on the workhouse a few years ago when we had a heat wave in the summer, and sections of the workhouse got up to 120 degrees, and there wasn't functioning air conditioning. You know, you're putting these people, who again are presumed innocent, many of them, into a facility that has negative health outcomes, and this is until they can get their time in court. So they don't even have a good, you know, idea of when they will get out. There's no like, okay, I'm serving a 10-year sentence. It's, you know, you're just there when, you're there. when the court can get to you, I guess. Um, so there's a really big movement in St. Louis to close the workhouse. Um, and I am actually overjoyed to say that we got a little bit of progress with that. When I was doing the research for this, this week, St. Louis recently elected a new mayor, a black woman, for the first time. Very cool. Um, And in her proposed budget, she allocated zero dollars to the workhouse, which would effectively close it. So it's a proposed budget. It still has to be approved by the Board of Aldermen and the Comptroller, I believe, in St. Louis. Um, But given the current climate, I think there's a good chance that they might approve it. Um, And then that large amount of money that was dedicated to a failing facility for innocent people, largely innocent, there are some people who are serving uh, low, uh, it's it's a medium security prison, so the people who are there serving time, it's for um, light offenders. Yeah, so shorter stints. Right, would be closed. The big question in the community right now is where do the people go? 
there's a big push to say those people go home if they can't afford bail and they're still awaiting a court date and they're not a flight risk why are they being held yeah i don't know yeah house arrest have them check in with a parole officer even you know you're not on parole but we have those people we have those people in the community and you know you just have to say hey i'm i'm still in the state you know once a month whatever it is uh instead of i mean you know kyle rittenhouse is home a murderer a murderer (laughs) yeah uh and it kind of goes into the topic of cash bail in general people think cash bail you know is a system that is flawed that uh kind of uh, is only for poor people because you know uh, you get that money back if you're found innocent. <laughs> so it, it's just for wealthy people or people who are famous enough, like Rittenhouse, to get a GoFundMe to pay off his bail. So the people who are located there that do need to complete a sentence will most likely be transferred to the Justice Center in St. Louis City, which has its own issues and has horrible conditions as well. But very hopeful that the new mayor is taking steps to reform the justice system within St. Louis. Um, and I think this is a great first step to close the workhouse. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I do want to yeah. pivot off that real quick because uh, this reminds me of a uh, pizza place that just opened up in Philly. It's called Down North Pizza. It's in the Philadelphia area. And their aim is to uh, erase employment barriers faced by formerly incarcerated people. So what the oh. pizza joint does is they employ people who are just getting out of prison and they also give them short-term housing units above the pizza place for six months which is rent free and it helps them you know you you're working again you got six months to build your cash up and then you can save to get like a permanent living spot or you know start paying rent that's awesome it's just yeah. like you know we love to see yeah like three black dudes make a pizza <laughs> helping out the community like we love to see dave's killer bread does something similar to you Really? Yeah, they have like a program where they hire a lot of people that have been incarcerated. I think it's part of the name to Dave's Killer Bread. I think that's why it's called Dave's Killer's Bread or something like that. It's a strong name. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think this was a good episode. The cases were good. And yeah, uh, what do we have to plug? The Patreon. Check out the Patreon. Check out that merch. Check out the uh, Spotify playlist because that'll be updating. I, last season I kept forgetting to update it after each episode and people would ask me where Kelson did a song at <laughs> so sorry about that huh. this season I'll make sure to up <laughs> so this season I'll make sure to update the Spotify with all the songs you know if you want early access and ad free check out the Patreon check out the merch battle you have anything to plug you never plug your uh, Twitch yeah. even though you have one dick yeah, I'm not going to plug my Twitch. However, what I am going to plug is that this season, I plan to inter- interview different uh, content creators of color, and we'll have a snippet on this episode, hopefully, of that interview that I've done already with the content creator. Um, also, we'll have the actual video on our Instagram and YouTube that I did of the interview with these different content creators, and they range from every everyone from, like, Twitch streamers to photographers to doulas um, to activists and it's just a way to help promote other content creators uh, of color because it's a very tough field to get into and I want to try to help other people because I think we can It's hard to shoehorn your way into a lot of white spaces and then when you're in it's like 
you can <laughs> pull someone else up with you. Like, yeah, we just want to have you don't that. Gotta, you got to fight to be the token. <laughs> Absolutely. So we want to start doing more. I want to start helping more with representation um, in these fields because after all, content creation is very universal. It's for everyone. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Very cool. We love to see it. Robert, you got anything to plug? I have nothing to plug. Kelly? K-Money? Nope. <laughs> Today. <laughs> Alright, but no, great episode. Thank you all for being here, and we'll see you next time. Enjoy the music. See ya. Kisses from the homie. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.